Digital Drift, episode 35, recorded July 7th, 2014. Transformers, Age of Extinction. Okay, folks, before we start, it's that time of year again. The month-long annual Digital Drift Donation Drive, or Quadruple D. This is where you guys show your appreciation for a year's worth of otherwise free entertainment by making donations on our website. However, this year, what with the Patreon for the New Century web series starting this week, we've decided to combine the two and urge everyone towards the Patreon over just donating a single amount. Now that may seem like extra hassle, or you may not even care about the web series, but look at it like this. When this launches and strangers click on the Patreon page, if nobody has become a patron yet, that leads them to logically believe the content isn't worth their time and support. Now you guys are all familiar with what we can do, and it is we, because don't forget Sharon is my editor and close collaborator on this series, and sees all the benefits too. So you can effectively vouch for us. Drop £10 in our tip jar for the past year of content, and nobody but us will know. We will be grateful, and thank you. But there is a much better use of that time and money. Become a patron of New Century and donate $3 a month for a few months and we get the same amount, but our Patreon has a patron. If a hundred of you do that, we have a hundred patrons, which in turn will exponentially strengthen the project and bring in far more massive amounts of interest. There are 1,500 of you listening to this show right now. Without this, it will wither and die with no patrons, and I'll have to get a job clearing out the elephant enclosure at London Zoo. You can become a patron for a single month, for a single dollar, and still enjoy being part of the new burgeoning New Century community and get on the private production feed. And of course, if you find out that you actually love the series, you can up your amount and gain access to all the goodies that come with that. If it's too much hassle, we're still fine with PayPal donations, but it should be clear that this is about more than money. And finally, as a reminder of what we've provided you with over the past year, here's what we've done since the last donation drive. (gasps) Fan response. Gonzo Adventures, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Ghostwatch, Iron Man 3, Lou Reads the Internet, IST, Thor The Dark World, Legend of Korra Spirits, Desolation of Smaug, Pacific Rim, Kill Bill, Robocop Special Effect, The Married Gamers, We Hate Movies, Fifty Shades of Grey, The Video Game Crashes, Rihanna Pratchett, The Winter Soldier, Spider-Man 1, 2, 3, Amazing 1, 2, and Spectacular, X-Men 1, 2, 3, Origins, First Class, Wolverine, Days of Future Past, Planet of the Apes, Beneath, Escape, Conquest, Battle, Remake, Rise, and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, The Guardians of the Frickin' Galaxy, The Lego Movie, The Iron Giant, Transformers, The Animated Movie, then 1, 2, 3, and tonight 4, The Age of Exhaustion. Now that's a boatload of content, and we spent hundreds of hours bringing it to you. This is our finest hour, and we want you guys to stand with us and show the rest of the world what we can do. Patreon, New Century, enjoy the show. This is 
witnessed the greatest advance in modern physics since the splitting of the atom. A rare metal, molecularly unstable. It's what they're made of. Bring it up, all the way. You guys have never seen a truck like this before. Dad, you can't keep spending money on junk. I don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. I'm gonna ask you this once. Where is Optimus Prime? After all we have done, humans are hunting us. But I fear we are all targets now. What is that? Who sent you here? This is not war. It's human extinction. Discussion and entertaining analysis of movies, games, and media culture. Welcome to the Digital Drift. This is a fragment of what film crit Hulk said about Transformers 4. So there's this part in Transformers Age of Extinction where the Autobots suddenly encounter a super-literal vagina dentata alien that's just hanging out in a cage. There's no reason for this to be happening on any level. It's just clearly stuck in for some motivational reason. But please understand that the reveal of the alien's vagina dentataness is not some placid cinematic moment, but instead highly emphasized this is clear, this is overt. So then the fat Autobot, one of the good guys by the way, is so revolted by this image that it tells this way too clear vagina symbol that it is too ugly to live. Then the vagina gets some slime on him and the fat Autobot collapses on the ground and thinks he's burning. But then the fat Autobot just realizes it's just shiz, so he calls the vagina symbol bitch and shoots her dead. This literally happened. This literally happened in a movie that is ostensibly aimed at young kids and posturing the heroism of good guys. 
Hulk sat in that theatre and just kept thinking about that moment over and over and over again. How does something like this happen? An Autobot just killed a caged vagina for being that very thing. How does a studio film produce a moment like this? It's not like this is a vacuum. There was likely an entire team of people who probably spent a whole month animating that scene, right? It's not like it's just Michael Bay's scrawled inept fanfiction wherein all his psychosexual issues come to the forefront without a filter. But the truth is that that's exactly what this is like, and either no one noticed or no one spoke up, or if they did speak up they were simply overruled. This went through every level and thus we are privy to a super on the nose scene where you can peek into Michael Bay's oh so literal fear of vaginas. This happened. But this always happens, every time Hulk sees a Michael Bay movie, Hulk is reminded that he does these kinds of things. Which perhaps in a sad way, constantly reminds Hulk that he is one of the most weirdly fascinating filmmakers on the planet. Please don't mistake that for a statement implying his films are worth seeing, or are actively fascinating to watch. No, they're overlong, boring slogfests that spew so much hateful, sexist, homophobic and racist garbage all under the pretense of that winking, this is the way it should be, brand of humour that makes you want to go out into the lobby and reconcile your humanity for a while. Which just makes the idea that he's insanely popular all the more troubling. But yeah, after you comb through the drudgery of the experience and its popular reception, one that is probably as close as you can come to staring into the void, then you can actually stand back and calmly appraise the ways his sociopathic view of the universe manifests on screen. There's a lot more to that. I recommend you read it. Funnily enough, we did this whole podcast before I read that, and there's a lot of stuff about Michael Bay basically not understanding how people work that seems to corroborate everything that we've been saying for these past few movies. Oh, and one more thing to corroborate the idea that the Transformers make us sad, and that's one of the major reasons why we love them. You ever notice how the Autobot symbol is crying? One more rather unexpected review. I wasn't going to see Age of Extinction, but I offered the community the option to buy my cinema ticket for me. That way I wouldn't have to directly feed the beast. A fellow named Eric Caron made the donation, so you can thank him for the existence of this episode. Yes, the studio and Bay still get a bit of extra money, but it wasn't mine, and I can only assume Eric would have spent it on delicious frosty beer or Jaffa cakes anyway, so I can focus on what the movie was, and not what else I personally could have spent the cash on. We're going to try something new. Sharon, having not seen this, is going to be my Simon Mayo, and I will answer each and every one of her questions to give everyone an idea of what watching this movie is like. To get an overall assessment of your experience of watching the fourth instalment in the Bayformers saga, how did you feel going in and how did you feel coming out? That's a fair question. 
the idea being that, you know, did I go in going, oh, this is going to be crap, isn't it? Ugh. And then, of course, I didn't enjoy it because I wasn't prepared to enjoy it. Why would I go in to a movie hoping not to enjoy something? Uh, I actually, I went in going, there is a possibility that the people saying this is the best one yet are right, at least in terms of me. I'm not saying that every, anyone who, everyone who loved this film is wrong. Why would I say that? It's ridiculous. It's just a case of that they and I don't see eye to eye on this matter at all. And that's fine. You know, different strokes for different folks. But I really can't see what they saw in this film. Uh, I went in going, oh, okay, yeah, might, might, might be good, might be a few bits... You know, worthy of note, might might may, might be the second best, maybe. Might be the best. Maybe it will be the best. I went in optimistic, as I almost always do. The last film that I actually saw in the cinema that I didn't want to see... Let's work this one out, shall we? Okay. The last film that I really thought I wasn't going to like and went to the cinema and really didn't like was Constantine. What Co- goes around comes around. Co-starring Shia LaBeouf. Ah. <laughs> so yeah, um, th- that's why this is a weird one because basically after um, the Cineworld place, uh, mm-hmm. it was um, was it a Cineworld or was it something else in Ashford? Uh, it was a huge. Oh, in Ashford. Um, no, Ashford was a Cineworld, but this was before Cineworld had merged with UGC and yeah. started doing the cards. Because the one in Crawley had actually been a UGC when we were doing the cards. That's so right. Yeah. Cineworld and Ashford, so we had to start paying. So you had to then be choosy about what you go to see, because you know why would you go to see something that's not great? So you know, yeah, After that, basically, I've been sort of you know only paying to. This. So this basically uh, the reason I'm going into this is because now that I live very close to a cinema and can organize this kind of thing it means that the, the the gates have been opened you guys can say alex we really want you to go and see maleficent and i can go and see it you know that's a dangerous statement to make <laughs> you know what if i can i will i'll put it like that and if i if i, if I can't see it on the cheap days today was a cheap day I, you know mondays and tuesdays i can do it for 6 pounds normally it's 7 pounds 80 if anyone wants to throw me the cash for a ticket i will go see whatever is on on my local uh, odeon okay that that is my promise to you guys i will reserve the right to say no <laughs> on certain things but you know if you, it's it's not like i'm not a jukebox you can't just throw money at it and expect to show immediately but you know, if it's worth talking about, then I'll talk about it. I was going to say, one presumes you're going to be reviewing all of these films. To make it worthwhile for the people uh, donating the money for it, even if it's just a small review on one of our upcoming Driftwood shows. Mm. Hmm. Anyway. So, the beginning of the film, we got a Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, and it's that really boring Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. And I realised that that was the one that was created for the Transformers Age of Extinction audience. That's not to say that everyone who liked this film is a dull-witted simpleton, but that's what they think of you. That's what the people who, who market Age of Extinction think of you, and that's why they sent in this really dull kind of, you know, it's, we have to save the universe, no one else can, that kind of trailer. It's just, it's, it's really... It's it's everything that's happened in the Transformers films, only the Marvel 
cinematic universe is actually full of some really great humor, which um, Transformers never manage. So it's almost like they'd be throwing off their their uh, target audience by introducing the humor of the uh, more offbeat uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the earlier trailers, trailer two and three. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, trailers one and two. Okay, so any questions? Well, you've kind of said how you felt going in. How did you feel coming out? You saw how I felt. I lay on the sofa and moaned. Yeah, I did. It sucked the life out of me. It sucked the life and soul out of me. Just watching it, it was so exhausting and tedious. I left the cinema not like, not angry. Not even really disappointed. I got, you know, what I, I expected really, you know. It's like going to eat at a really shitty kebab shop. You know, you, it's, well, what do you expect this time around? You know, maybe it'll be good. Of course it's not going to be good. I knew it wasn't going to be good. That doesn't mean I didn't hope it would be good. What killed the dinosaurs, Sharon? If it wasn't Michael Bay. <laughs> it was Michael Bay. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the beginning of this film, we find out what killed the dinosaurs. The Ice Age! No, it was... Megatron? Megatron. Awesome. It was some visitors from another planet. Here's the thing. They kind of introduced this other species of um, automated robot, but they never explain it. So, somebody came along and pushed a Decepticon up the bottom of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and the result was Grimlock. I think this actually predates the whole Autobot-Decepticon split. Okay. Yeah. Um, they basically, they hit the earth with a big thing called a seed, which basically covered the uh, uh, big chunks of the planet uh, in an ore that later on gets referred to as uh, Transformium. Really? And that Transformium did, which led to the death of the dinosaurs. Right, okay. Mind you, having said that, Cybertronium. Yeah. That, that comes from Cybertron. Because every mineral that's ever been found on Earth is not called Earthium. Well, no, yeah, we, we've got Earthium. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, the, the, there's a thing called a seed. Now, pay attention, 007, the seed is going to be our MacGuffin. And uh, remember the, the cosmic cube? Not the fucking cosmic cube, the cube. The cube from Transformers 1. Yes. It does pretty much the same thing. Megatron wants it, and everyone's chasing it. And they've got to get it to a place, but of course the thing, the Decepticons go to the place to pick it up anyway. So what's the point of getting it to the place in the first place? It's just to set up the big action sequence. It's so by rote. It's exactly the same. Again. So anyway, these guys, it would appear, are the... uh, Maybe the... uh, Oh my god. It's just Prometheus. Okay, uh, I'm going to mention Robot many, DNA. I'm going to mention many other uh, movies which this film apes, not including Planet of the Apes. Um, but th- this is obviously Prometheus. It's like it starts at the beginning and it goes, "Oh, the beginning of mankind." There was the Transformers, but they've done that already in Transformers Two. But we were natives at the time. This is like. Um, uh, they're talking about these alien overlords who created the Transformers, the, these uh, robot gods, the Prometheans or the Protheans or the Forerunners or the whatever the fuck you want to call them. 
Maybe maybe the Squintersons did it. Either way, um, we'll call these guys um, the Prometheans, shall we? May as well, for the sake of argument, because they never get given a name. They may as well be the Decepticons. They're just as one-dimensional. Uh, but they, re- they return repeatedly through, throughout the film, and it's me- various action. Okay, so... Then we meet Marky Mark on his farmy farm, doing his crazy inventing. We're having a uh, a meeting and deciding who you're going to cast as the crazy inventor, the guy who's you know creating various machines. Who's the first person who springs to mind? Somebody like really smart and you know fun to watch. It's, it's Mark Wahlberg, obviously. You know. So you get this guy who looks like a failed quarterback and. Um, uh, he's buying a, a movie camera at a movie theatre from someone because he wants to turn it into something. Um, and then he sees Optimus Prime in the back of the theatre and buys Optimus Prime and then takes it back to his farmy farm. And his name is... Brace yourself, Sharon. His name Christ. is Cade Yeager. I told you... It's spelt different. It's Y-A-E-G-E-R. But it's almost like they're trying to devalue the word Jaeger. And the the Transformer that's called Drift? I'll talk about him in a bit. No, I know, but I said when I read that that they were having a pop at... um, I don't even think Michael Bay has a pop. I don't even think he's that subtle. But uh, either way, I, I would I would probably say it's Aaron Kruger doing this. Either way. So we meet Mark Wahlberg. In all seriousness, much as I hate Mark Wahlberg and as dull and witless an on-screen presence he is, he's not annoying in the same way as Shia LaBeouf was. Okay. He basically traipses through this movie and he's Bruce Willis in Armageddon. Y- you seen Armageddon? Yes. You know how Bruce Willis acted? Yes. It's that. Right. Maybe a bit less uh, hot-tempered. Does he chase Ben Affleck round a pipeline yes. with a bit of wood? Yes. More on that in a second. Um, he has a funny friend who looks a bit like Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> who says funny things and does funny stuff and gets a football in the face. And um, the, 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 his form is uh, for sale because he's behind on his rent payments. Um, and Marcy from... Uh, uh, Magnolia comes round, Cleo King, where, as a realtor showing some people the estate. And, uh, you know, fat people are funny, black people are funny, shouting fat black people are funny. And, uh, it's, I'm amazed this scene actually only went on for a short while and uh, didn't actually involve her cussing and, and hollering. It's less racist than the first three. I was about to ask whether, <laughs> how does he do on the racism and misogyny? In it's this still one? racist. I mean, I don't want to put my hands together and go, you're only a bit racist this time. But really it is only a bit racist this time. It's only really a bit racist like, say, 90s Disney is a bit racist. Okay. Uh, That's a big drop-off from the the twins in part two. See, I would say 90s Disney is racist in the sort of affectionately culturally insensitive kind of way. Yeah. Well, then, then he's raised the bar. Okay, so he manages to be affectionately culturally insensitive. <laughs> yeah. And then we also meet Nicola Peltz as Tessa Yeager, his horrible daughter. 
Now, if you were sitting with me in the cinema, I imagine there were several points during this film when you would have gripped my arm in a kind of, I fucking hate her, Alex, I hate her! Because this is a... I mean, again, to be fair, she's not really a horrible person. She's just somebody who has no business being in a Transformers movie. Both the actress, who's awful... She, if you guys remember, if you've all seen the last Airbender movie, she was the girl who dressed up as and pretended to be Katara in that film. Hmm. She's not a bad person. I certainly don't think the actress is a bad person at heart. And the character is not a bad person at heart. But she's the kind of person that when the bullets start flying goes, <laughs> She reminded me most of Willie Scott in Temple of Doom, only without being funny. And she was never really supposed to be funny. Willie Scott's obviously meant to be pitched to be, she shouldn't be here. But this, it's more of a case of, you know, if you're a dad and your daughter's stuck in this situation, she's screaming and you've got to get her out of it. You know, that's what dads do. And Marky Mark's definitely there to appeal to the dads in the audience. If you're a dad and you haven't taught your daughter by the age of, what, 16? Well, here's the thing. She's 16. Mm-hmm. And Marky Mark has told her, you may not fuck anyone. You may not date anyone. We are a no dating house. Rule number one, no dating, no dating till you graduate. graduate. Rule number two, no dating till you graduate. And I'm sure that in their own special way, they were trying to do the same thing throughout the film. The idea that he's being too harsh on her. You've got to let her be free to go and, you know, get her end away. She's 16 years old. And he's like, I just worry about you because I had you uh, just before graduation. You were a mistake, but you were the... No, he doesn't know. She says, oh, I was a mistake. And he goes, no, no, you were the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, he seems relatively heartfelt about that. But he's like, you just, you just must not have sex with anyone ever. And it's really creepy because he kind of puts her vagina in a box. And it's like, no, this is mine. This is my pussy. You don't get to do anything with it. Okay. And every time she starts to sort of push against these boundaries, he's like, no, 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 no. You get back in your room, little child. This, That's my pussy there. And it's really fucking creepy. Just, I mean, again, he's well-meaning. I'm sure Mark Wahlberg isn't as psychotic as some of this comes off as. But... Uh, mm, yeah, it's gone from leery shots of Megan Fox bending over a car to leery shots of Mark Wahlberg's daughter, but not quite as leery. And Mark Wahlberg pretty much looking at the camera going, hey, don't be looking at my daughter. <laughs> OK, we now, if- actually, uh, this I really wasn't. I don't find her even the remotest bit attractive. If they did not have at some point Marky Mark emerge from behind the screen and like threatened to punch people for looking at his daughter my point was that if as a father you have allowed your daughter to get to 16 years old and not taught her anything about how to deal with crisis situations other than get behind me then you fucked up maybe so um, it, it's basically exactly the same as uh, Armageddon only um, Liv Tyler was playing Grace as a young adult Obviously, definitely of age, definitely old enough to be making her own decisions. And Liv Tyler has an on-screen presence. Liv Tyler has a fire inside her. And ultimately, you know, Ben Affleck, like the guy in this, is a, is a relatively likable guy. And you're kind of supposed to be on their side and, and uh, see the dad as being, a, you know, way too protective. But here's the thing. It 
keeps coming back throughout the movie over and over again. It's not like it's at the beginning and then later on, you know, like he reprises it once and goes, yeah, you just keep away from my daughter. You know, we got this thing going on. Every conversation between him and his daughter is about her keeping her pussy in her pants. Yeah. So male obsession with the sexual organs of females still not abated. Marvellous. Still there. Marvellous. Um, so if you're not attempting to tap them, then you're owning them in yeah. some other capacity. I mean, uh, this can be done funny. This can be done right. Ten Things I Hate About You is exactly how to do it funny and right. Uh, and ultimately the dad learns at the end, you know, that maybe uh, you have to meet Heath Ledger. Now, unfortunately, we can't. <laughs> Nobody can ever do that again. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of Ten Things, he actually sits down and has a conversation with Cat that makes it apparent why he's been so overprotective of them all this time. Um, and he's honest about his standpoint in all of this. I'm guessing that doesn't happen. Also, he spends every day arm deep in placenta. placenta. Well, yes, there is He that. is literally so he constantly delivering babies to teenage reason. mothers. Yeah, he has a genuine reason to be overly paranoid. And they play it for last. This is kind of more played for drama. Mm. Yeah. See, if, if as a parent who had been a very young parent themselves and you felt that, that that was something that had taken your life off course and you didn't want to see your child repeat that, surely emphasis on safe sex would be the way to go. You're 16, right, let's get you down the GP and, and you know, would you like to go on the pill? But or something I, I, then, along those then there's no tension because they've got to give this guy something to relate to with his daughter. And Aaron Kruger is a very half-witted screenwriter. He can't really string a character together, so he has to give him one thing. This is Marky Mark's one thing. He likes inventing and he likes obsessing about his daughter's genitals. Ugh. And he hasn't manufactured a chastity belt yet? No. You'll wear the belly. <laughs> Bring it up. All the way. A truck? Dad, please tell me you didn't spend our money on it. No, no, don't worry, he didn't. He spent my money, 150 bucks of it. Yeah, as an advance on your regular paycheck. What regular paycheck? Which you will get back. When? Never. We're broke. I knew it. Sweetheart. Could you please not drive a wedge between employer and employee? Hold on, I thought we were partners. Look, I came up short, okay? I had to buy her a prom dress. You want me to deny her a prom dress? Might as well. You denied her a prom date. No, I offered to take her and chaperone. Nobody wants to go to the dance with their dad. It's weird. It's not the issue. Well, maybe it should be. Sweetheart, your shorts are shrinking by the second, okay? Upskirt shot. Cold water air dry, please. Okay, so, cut to... The savage death of an Autobot. It seems since Chicago, uh, the, the American government has declared war on all Transformers, uh, including the Autobots. So basically, uh, after the cleanup of Chicago, in which many, many thousands of people died, um, they uh, turned on the Autobots and started actually hunting them. And Optimus Prime sent out a uh, message to all Autobots to not trust the humans and to try to get to safety and hide. And that's what he's been doing for all these years. The, he's uh, a battered old Peterbilt. Uh, now and he's been hiding I think he, he basically we find out later he took a missile in the chest and then transformed and it didn't explode but basically he's been in, in a coma effectively um, 
Has somebody provided him with some sort of little electromagnetic power device to put on his chest to keep the missile from exploding? I don't know. It's defective. Okay. They, they, uh, they use it for a comedy bit later on where it flies into the house and flies around all the rooms. It's hilarious. Oh, marvellous. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the, um, the, the American, you know the, the nest scenario in the second film where they sort of track down the Decepticons? Yes. Exact same thing, only this Autobot who's hiding in a house, they chase down the street and uh, start gunning down. They surround him, and he's uh, holding up his hands going, No, please, I'm an Autobot. It's Ratchet begging for his life. And then uh, a new uh, robot turns up. Uh, he's black, so you know he's definitely evil. Uh, he's tall. He's um, imposing. He walks with a little bit of a kind of a gunslinger swagger, and uh, he turns his whole head into a gun. This is who I thought Galvatron was in the trailer. It's actually not. His name is um, Lockdown. He's one of these uh, unaffiliated bots that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he represents the the ones who made the Autobots and the Decepticons. That we'll call them the makers, shall we? Okay. Sod the Prometheans. Um, and uh, he just railguns Ratchet to death. Ratchet is horribly killed before our eyes. And I should feel sad because Jeffrey Combs, Ratchet, and uh, obviously classic Ratchet from the uh, 80s TV show, you know, I, I, li- I like the cat. I, I loved Jeffrey Combs, Ratchet from uh, Transformers Prime. But this Ratchet, I never really got to know. So it was like, oh, I guess Ratchet's dead then. <sighs> and that's the thing. The, the, tra- the Autobots have been hunted for years now, it seems. Years and years. So Marky Mark reactivates Optimus Prime with jump leads or something, and Prime explodes out all over the barn and sort of like, you know, like slamming everyone up against the wall. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! And basically, he's like, he's like, he's shell-shocked, he's delirious, he's furious, he's threatening, and... Um, he's obviously been through some incredible amounts of trauma. So, if you want to read as much into it as possible, the events at the end of the third film have indeed taken a terrible toll on his brain. Mm-hmm. But they never address it. He never addresses it. It's not characterization. It's only there if you read it. Right. Okay. Optimus has snapped like a dry reed. I'm sorry to say, uh, the uh, the prime that we knew from who was last seen in uh, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen uh, does not come back. He's uh, he's never going to be the Peter Cullen Optimus Prime that we uh, met in the first Transformers film, or that we knew and loved in uh, the uh, original show, or that we know and love from Transformers Prime. This isn't actually Optimus Prime. It's Noptimus Prime. <laughs> And that's what I shall continue to call him, because there has been a swap out somewhere along the way. They've still got Peter Cullen voicing him, but in the same way as that's not Galvatron, that was never Megatron, this isn't Optimus. I will accept that the the way they did Bumblebee in an interesting new way, I could call him Movie Bumblebee. But this isn't really me being all fanish. It's it's just me. um, I refuse to observe that these are actually characters anymore. I won't. They aren't. Simple as that. There, there's no characterization going on. They're just skins. So why should I refer to them by their character names? Okay. Uh, so the new head of the CIA uh, is also... He's, he's like a special robot hunting force. All of these people who hunt down um, 
the uh, Autobots. For some reason, they, they, they've taken out the Decepticons. He, he throws down, like, so you know the, the pack of 52, the, um, the, the terrorist leaders uh, that exist in real life where they have, you know, all the, the, the heads that the CIA and the uh, military want to get hold of. Mm-hmm. Because once you take them out, suddenly this hydra of terrorism is, is having to grow back heads from out of nowhere. Um, most of the Autobots and Decepticons are now dead, thanks to Kelsey Grammer. And it will surprise you to know that Kelsey Grammer is the best thing in this film. Okay. He commits to this role. He's very serious about it. Uh, as far as he's concerned, uh, uh, Attinger, it's us or them. It is, it's the humans or the robots. Now, it's not his fault that the film makes no sense of his motives. We'll go into that a bit later. But basically, he's the one hounding the Autobots. He's the one executing them, effectively. And he's in league with this Lockdown bot. But we don't know why. Lockdown wants hold of Optimus Prime, but we don't know why. Before, during, or after he gets hold of him. (sighs) Anyway, the White House Chief of Staff meets with Attinger and um, says... Hi, it's my first day, and, uh, you know, the POTUS would like a word with you, and, you know, wants to have a meet and greet, press the flesh, and uh, maybe have meet this Optimus Prime. And uh, Attinger fills him in and says, no, the Autobots are being hunted now. It's like 22 minutes into the film. We've seen, it is manifestly so, we've seen Ratchet shot to pieces... We've seen posters of Bumblebee with the word hate above them in, like, the most, like, you couldn't actually publish this kind of propaganda in the 21st century America. It doesn't work like that. You can't just put Bumblebee's face and then hate in red above it. That doesn't say anything. That actually raises a lot more questions about what your government is trying to say. Especially if the President of the United States appears not to know that this is what's being said. Well, the Chief of Staff, I I honestly wanted to get Leo McGarry sat beside me. John Spencer, even John Spencer, who acted as the Chief of Staff, and say, could this man ever have got the position of White House Chief of Staff? He doesn't know anything. And you know that bit in uh, The Rock, where uh, a, a young guy questions Hummel... And uh, Hummel says, I was cutting throats in uh, Laos and southern China before you were out of high school. Um, That guy at least seemed like he was probably too young to be chief of staff. One of the most important job roles in the world, I might add. You need somebody with the experience and gravity of a John Spencer to really fulfill this role. But at least it seemed like he was relatively on the ball. But this guy, I don't even know why he's here. It seems to be a really clumsy stab at the Obama administration. Which is weird, because in uh, the original Transformers 2007, we never mentioned this in the review, there's like a pair of red socks that are masking what's supposed to be George W. Bush, going, can I have some ho-hos to the stewardess? (laughs) So I guess any administration doesn't get off lightly. Fair enough. Anyway, so this is just, this whole scene is only there to establish that he's definitely the head of the blah blah CIA splinter group and that the POTUS has to answer to him. Because he says, no, I ain't doing no interviews and you can't shake the hand of Optimus Prime. He's an enemy of America. So the funny friend, do you remember I mentioned him before? Yeah. Oh, the one who looks like Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, the one who right. looks like Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, oh, whoa, cool, totally kick ass. 
Um, you know, what freaks out about the fact that Optimus Prime is there, and especially when Optimus Prime starts threatening to kill everyone, um, and uh, phones a, a hotline where they offer you a, a, a check for twenty-five grand if you have a uh, Autobot and they can capture it. And uh, so some agents uh, say that they're going to come around with a check. They don't come around with a check. They come around with a fucking SWAT team. <laughs> Who didn't expect that to happen? <laughs> so Marky Mark comes out of his barn. And talks to the uh, head agent, uh, Titus Welliver, who you probably won't remember, uh, but he's been in almost all of Ben Affleck's films. Uh, he was in Argo, Gone Baby Gone on the Town. He's a very professional kind of actor. He's, he's kind of like a younger, trimmer Tom Sizemore without the drug problems. Uh, okay. He plays Agent James Savoy in this. He's not really much fun. He's not really all that compelling. But again, just like Kelsey Kramer, who he, he's the sort of like lackey of, he takes it very seriously. And Marky Mark says, you know... <sighs> I don't know if you know this, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in Texas right now, sir. And they got rules about messing with folks who come from Texas. Now, let me go back to what we hated about the original Transformers movies. We hated them because of the whole cult of we're special. Now, the whole don't mess with Texas thing is because everyone who, who says that and comes from Texas believes that they're special because of where their mother's pussy was when they were born. You're just lucky to be born in Texas and to be living that close to the Alamo Draft House. The whole don't mess with Texas because we're more special than everybody else and we're tougher or we're, we'll kick your ass. Or just, that, that, invoking that at that exact moment just made me go... <laughs> at that exact moment. Don't mess with Texas. No offense, of course, intended to anyone who comes from Texas. I happen to know that we've got several listeners who come from Texas... All of them that I know of are all good eggs. In fact, I talked to a couple of them and found out that Don't Mess With Texas is actually a slogan from the 1980s. And it was about picking up litter in Texas and making sure that the state was very clean. Not, don't start fights with us because we're special and we'll kick your ass. Good on you guys from Texas. And I guarantee not one of them has ever said, don't mess with Texas. Especially not in a bar fight. <laughs> How does that work, actually? If you're both from Texas, having a bar fight in Texas, you're like, I don't want to mess with you. I don't want to mess with you either, because we're both from Texas. Uh-uh, man. Nah, man. You don't want to rile me, man. You just rile the wrong motherfucker, man. Nah, you don't even know, man. I'm, I'm the last guy you want to fuck with, man, because you don't know me, man. I fucking I kill your ass, man. You don't even know, man, because you don't know, man. I'm like a motherfucking... Earthquake wrapped in a hurricane nestled in a box of tsunamis, man. You da- that's what I am, man. I'm fucking kick your ass. I'm like a motherfucking natural disaster times triplicate, man. Fucking waiting to kick your ass. You don't even know, man, because I'm trained in super secret martial arts, man. Shit, I can't even tell you, man. I had to live underwater for a year, man, learn this shit. I can't even avow any of this stuff. I got tricks. I know fucking 43 ways to kill you with a pimento, my man. So don't fuck with me. You don't want to fuck with me because I know super ninja shit, man. Like, right now, I just turned invisible. You didn't even know that. I just turned invisible, man. You see, you're looking at me because you hear my voice saying that's that. But I just turned invisible. You think you see me, but I just put all my visibility on to you. So you double visible now. What you gonna do, motherfucker? You can run. You can't hide, man. I'll fucking find your ass because you fucking double visible. I'm invisible. So fucking that negates itself, man. So we both disappear. How about that shit, man? You don't even know, man. I'm fucking, 
I, I know super secret way to fucking, I just take my eyelash, man. Take my eyelash, go beep, you know? And then you fucking put it in your eye and you fucking dead, man. You dead for an hour. You don't even know it, man. You be walking around thinking you alive, but you've been dead for an hour, man, going, Hey, man, this jukebox, okay, I'm gonna play some Mozart, Martin, Dead Devil, you know, whatever, man. You don't even know, man. You dead. I'm laughing at you, man, all invisible and shit, just laughing at you. Man, cause I'm, you opened up the wrong motherfucking can of worms, bitch. Y'all been up the wrong can of worms, man. Cause this, this is you going, oh man, what's this can of worms? I'm gonna try this can of worms out, man. See what's up in here, man. And you just looking at, look at that, that ain't nothing but stupid little can of worms. What's that about? I don't give a shit about that little can of worms. Then when your back's turned, all them worms climb up on top of each other, form one big worm! And, and kill you with this worm-like veracity! That's what it, that's what it is. Anyway, Optimus Prime on listening to this, it's like the bit with the Jew Hunter at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, only done really shit. Listens to this agent, basically throws the girl to the ground, puts a gun to her head and goes, I'm going to shoot her. And, and Marky Mark is like, no, don't shoot my daughter. And it's like, mm, this is still a PG-13. Yep, okay, well, that's fair enough. I'm going to shoot her in the head. Going to shoot her in the head. Once again, government agents acting way outside their jurisdiction or like this fictional jurisdiction they're given. Again, not saying this doesn't happen, but if we ever see a government agent acting within their jurisdiction in one of these Transformers movies, I will be very surprised. And Optimus Prime bursts out of the barn. There's a big fucking shootout. Uh, the, uh, the, the awesome-looking Lamborghini that uh, Lockdown transforms into draws up, and it's like, oh my god, there's going to be a big fight. I don't care at all. And then um, Marky Mark and his... Uh, um, the funny friend and daughter jump into the rally car that's just pulled up outside their house. And it turns out to be the daughter's boyfriend who just happened to be driving by or something. Maybe he came by to see her. I don't know. He's called Shane Dyson. He's played by Jack Rayner, who apparently uh, was picked for this role because he was in, I believe it was a film called What Richard Did. And basically, you know, he's a decent actor. And he is the only person who manages to get out of this movie um, from the goody team, not seeming like an absolute prick. He's not particularly fun or exciting or interesting. He's not funny. He doesn't make me laugh. He doesn't make me cheer. There's nothing particular. Like, a AJ in Armageddon had a cockiness about him that made you laugh and want to punch him, but at the same time, um, uh, Ben Affleck gave it this full-throated, overly hammy performance that probably, you know, earned him all that bile as, uh, you know, when he got chosen for Batman. Um, but, you know, you, you can't, he's an on-screen presence. Um, this guy, he's just sort of there and not crap. That's basically what he manages. So there's a big car chase. They, they drive through the fields. They drive through the town. They drive down the roads. They drive over the roads. They drive through the car parking lot. There's a big car jump. And the editing suddenly goes completely fucking to part. And I, the editing's not particularly fantastic anyway, but there are definitely some points throughout the film where you're like, hang on a second, did I miss some in-between frames here? Because, some, like, you know, Optimus is driving down the road now because he got away from the agents, uh, and Lockdown is also in pursuit along a different road, and then... Um, it cuts to a point where uh, the, the goodies are driving in their car. They round a corner of a building, and it's sort of, sort of a wide shot. And Optimus and Lockdown are climbing over the roofs in the middle of a fight. And you're like, hang on a second. Neither of them turned up and transformed. There was no establishing shot that these guys met, transformed, acknowledged each other, and then engaged in combat. They're already fighting. When did this fucking happen? 
And then there's a, a other moment later on where um, Marky Mark and company are dropped down by a helicopter, or at least they they seem to be, because the, heli- the, the spaceship thing turns up, and then in the next scene they're on a roof talking to some people, but you never actually see, because they're too focused on the fact that the spaceship crashes, the the joining few frames where Marky Mark and company get out of the spaceship and onto the roof. It's all the establishing, not as important as the money shots. I would say, but it's the establishing that makes the money shots worth anything. But if he knew this, we wouldn't have got so irate at Transformers 2 and 3. Well, that's the thing. Everyone compliments Michael Bay on his technical abilities. Oh, he's really good at composing a shot. He's really good at shoot filming, uh, you know, a scene. He's, he makes it really very kinetic and very arresting. You know, it's a rubbish film, but you got to admit, it's fantastic to look at. It's actually not. Not for me. It's boring to look at. It's the same composition every single time. It's tedious. Because his films go on for way too long, he always outstays his welcome, and he keeps making films. It's tedious. I'm, I'm not gonna, I actually don't have huge amounts of vitriol for the guy. I, 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 there's, I can't really hate. I'm not gonna devote hate to the guy. I hate the fact that he's constantly in work. I suspect that at some point he's gonna have a compound nervous breakdown because of everything he's done throughout his life, and he's going to, if, if we're lucky, he's going to wake up, he's going to not be able to go to sleep in the middle of the night and he's going to be staring at a screen and he's going to realize he hates himself. No, 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 that's not it. He hates his place in the world. And then he'll sit down and he'll type out a mission statement and he'll give it to everyone in Hollywood and then he'll be fired and he'll have to go and do his own Michael Bay pictures. But because he's a billionaire, he'll be able to afford it. He can work on his own. We need a Jerry Maguire, Michael Bay film. Ladies and gentlemen, director and producer, Michael Bay. Good afternoon, afternoon, Michael. How is everyone today? Uh, My job as a director is I get to dream for a living. Michael, you know, you're known for such unbelievable action. What what inspires you? How, How do you come up with these unbelievable ideas? Um, I create visual worlds that are so beyond everyone's normal life experiences. And Hollywood is a place that creates uh, a viewer escape. And um, what I try to do is, as a director, I try to... uh, The type is all off, sorry, but I'll just wing this. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we'll just, we'll we'll wing it right now. Um, I I try to take people on an emotional ride. And um, the curve. How does it? Uh, how do you think it's going to impact uh, how viewers experience your movies? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's thank Michael Bay for joining us. But either way, there's a bit at the beginning when Marky Mark's on his farmy farm and he's, he's uh, like standing on the porch, one leg up, looking at the... Um, <laughs> one leg up? What's he doing, peeing on the porch? 
That would be something. No, I'd like, like, he's taken a knee to the, uh, the side of the porch, so he's sort of staring out across the fields and like, the, the camera's sort of moving sideways and you're sort of, you get to see a sweep of the fields and the tree has fairy lights in it and it's basically saying, you know what? He may be way overdue on his, uh, debts and he may be forfeiting this farm and he may not be perfect, but this man has everything that everyone wants, which is a good old farm and good old honest American work. This is a film for rednecks. It's not as obnoxious as the Larry the Cable Guy movie. It's not a million miles off. There's a certain amount of snobs versus slobs going on. Anyway, it's a big car chase. At the end, remember where I mentioned lockdown was there? Mm-hmm. Um, he just totally fucking kills the funny guy. And I was really pleased with that. Because I hated the funny guy. He wasn't funny. I was just like, oh... Good. No more jokes from that guy. He sucks. And he, he, that's terrible. You're supposed to go, oh, he was funny. He made me laugh. Oh, a person's been horribly killed. But all I could see him as was an addition to the movie that had just been subtracted. During the car chase, by the way, uh, Shane Dyson, the, who's like a rally car driver, um, <laughs> oh god, um, says, grab my stick and yank it hard to, um, the daughter and Marky Mark goes, huh, what? Don't say that to my daughter. And he says, sir, your daughter has the best hands in the business. Now, obviously that was written to be horrible and leery and like, huh, huh, huh. but somehow Jack Rayner has enough dignity to be able to deliver the line totally straight. And it's actually like, well, you could read into that a, a double entendre, but the way he said it actually seemed like he just meant to say that. It's almost like he's defying Aaron Kruger's shitty smut and the way that... The, it's almost like that kind of humor is trying to infiltrate the movie. And he's like, okay, I'll say it, but I ain't going to commit to that, okay? I'm not going to sort of leer at her and go, grab my stick. He retains his humanity. But basically, what he means is, you know, give me a good old wank off. And, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, pops, this girl has been... Greasing poles. Anyway, uh, what he means is pull the handbrake and I'll do a handbrake turn. And then, uh, as it turns out, like she's the um, navigator in his rally car thing. Do you know what I would be totally fucking freaked out by? Lyra being a navigator in a rally car circuit and not telling me. I think the sex angle would probably be less of a, of a thing for me, you know, because... Well, if you look purely at the odds... Sex chance of at is least less injury. likely to kill you. I don't know. I don't know what the stats are, but like the whole fact that she's going behind her father's back. But you know, he's just such a hard ass about the whole sex thing. I can't. I can't fucking blame her for at least like, having to carve out. Uh, she is just waiting, waiting for the moment she graduates so she can get the fuck away from him. She can't stand this guy, and because she can't stand this guy, we can't stand her. Because she just she's so petulant and whiny the whole time. Dad, you can't run my life for me. It's like, oh my God. Could you drop this girl off by the side of the road, please? She doesn't belong in this movie. Don't kill her. Don't incinerate her. Just leave her somewhere. (laughs) But she's there the whole time. So the funny guy buys it. Um, I'll mention the awful editing. The awful score. I said the first one has an occasionally very arresting score. Third one has a competent, if cribbed from Hans Zimmer score. This time, it just sounds like... Do you know that trailer music, which isn't actually by anyone or from anyone, it's just produced by people who make trailer music? It all sounds like that. Generic trailer music. 
So it's just there. Yeah, it's just there. Uh, music by Steve Jablonski again. So this time it's the same guy, same for all four movies. This time he just isn't trying. But there's also awful sound mixing. The music's too loud, the sound effects are too loud, and the dialogue, it's like they've got those slider bars. Do you know in a video game where you can turn the dialogue up and the music down a bit? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to pause the film and do exactly that, because it was like playing a video game where the levels are all fucked on the standard settings. I was actually, I actually did that with uh, Transformers uh, Fall of Cybertron. The dialogue can barely be heard over the crashing music because they're trying to match the uh, movies. It, it doesn't work if you can barely hear the dialogue. It's not a Paul Thomas Anderson film. They're not establishing mood through music and giving you a lot of acting behind the screens. Fucking robots talking. You need, especially if they're talking about McGuffins, you kind of need to hear what they're saying. And if you can't, it just becomes a I don't care anymore situation. I don't care why they want this thing. Because all I'm going to get is crashing loud music. So again, that, back to the whole idea of all Michael, Michael Bay, at least he's great on a technical scale. He's not. If he watches through this movie and goes, yep, that's all fine, that's great. I assume maybe it's, it's fine for the masses and they don't care and they have no standards. But for me, I like to hear what's being said. Just a little thing. I can't even stick on the subtitles. <laughs> had you had that option, would that have been... Would that have helped? Not really. I mean, I suppose a bit. I might have put the subtitles on and rewound and, and, and like, if, 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 it, if it felt like something important was being said. Oh, dear. It- so basically the way to enjoy this film is to learn sign language and then go to a version that's got the sign language interpreter. Yeah. Mark Ryan particularly is locked down. Um, he, he's, uh, he played Jetfire in uh, the second film. Um, he's uh, done a lot of sort of voice acting type stuff. Um, he's unintelligible. I can't hear a fucking word he says. And he, he's doing it in a British way again. But because... Maybe it's because he has a very kind of bassy voice... You don't get the sharp consonants, so it just sounds like. <laughs> you know how everyone was complaining that you couldn't hear what Bane was saying. Mm. In every scenario where Bane was speaking, everything else was very quiet, and Bane was very loud. Or perhaps he's wondering how you would shoot him out before throwing him out of the plane. It's like even if you don't hear the exact words, they're so loud that you're like you can replay it in your head. And go, ah, that's basically what he said. And in context, that makes sense. But if it's all just like... Well, the music goes... That's what the film felt like. Shy Ronnie. No, because Shy Ronnie, actually, you can hear the uh, the whimpering and there's no music playing over him. No one in the back can hear you. It's just more that the mixture and the cacophony of these various sound elements. It just it's a it's a blum, it's a melange. It is it is an audio melange, and there is nothing distinct about it. And I know I'm not covering any new ground by saying this, but um, this is the first Transformers film I've seen since 2007's Transformers in the cinema, and I imagine two and three were equally unintelligible. It's probably going to be less bad on DVD. Maybe the mixing will be slightly better because the sound system will be less, I suppose, imposing. And you will at least have the subtitles option if you need it. We can rewind. Or, of course, never seeing this on DVD. Also true. 
soul. That is why I have no fear. You die. The humour. The humour. <laughs> does it, from what I described, does it sound worse or better than the humour in the first three? Um. Uh, it sounds well. You've already said that the the racism is kind of toned down a little bit, um, and. I, it sounds very targeted, and this was one of the things that frustrated me about the um, about two and three was that they had an audience member in mind, and they were going straight for that audience member, and it was somebody that I have very little in common with, and it sounds like they've done the same thing again. It is less awful humour. Uh, I didn't laugh once. But I didn't get that feeling like, oh, God, stop, stop trying to be funny. It's, it's the opposite of funny. There was no moment like deep wang. There was no moment like the screaming fat black nerd in the first one. Okay. There was no moments like the twins. In fact, it didn't really be, seem to be playing as a comedy at all for most of it. There, there were moments and there were certain actors, um, one of whom I'll come on to in a bit. The bits where they played you the human stuff was done for drama. It wasn't drama because I didn't give a fuck about any of them. But it was played for drama as opposed to played for laughs. So, yeah, ultimately, uh, you know, if, if, if you try to play comedy for laughs and it's just the opposite of funny, you achieve precisely the opposite of what you set out to do. If you miss with drama, at least you're trying for something approaching humanity. Okay, yeah. yeah. I suppose, yeah, so, well done. <laughs> um, you may have noticed I haven't discussed the Transformers yet. That's because they're barely fucking in it, at least as characters. Um, because that's really what the, the films come down to. They're, whenever the person writes their script, they put a little highlighter mark on all the pages which actually have Transformers in them. And they can only have 14 highlighter pages. Because they can't afford it otherwise. Yeah. So once again, way too much focus on the humans. Yeah. Now, um, Ryan, who appeared on the uh, first episode, uh, the um, the major Transformers fan, saw this, really liked it, said it was the best one so far. I, I don't understand how, but at least he liked it. So that is proof, at least, that smart people can still like this. Bob Chipman also thought this was the best one so far. Proof, again, smart people can like this. It might just be me. But... Ryan also said he could probably do with less of the kids in Transformers Prime. He, I, I convinced him to start watching a bit of Transformers Prime. I'm kind of boggled by the fact that anyone would say more extinction, less kids in Transformers Prime. Again, it's just a case of not seeing eye to eye, I suppose. But um, it made me think that the kids in Transformers Prime are, in almost every situation, directly interacting with the Autobots. They are there for the Autobots to discuss their situation with to contextualize it for humans that's what the humans should be in the transformers movie there there should always be autobots there there should always be an autobot situation there and there's got to be a way to get the autobots less expensive so that you can characterize them these transformers movies aren't actually about the transformers they're about how humans deal with Transformers. Yeah. Like Aliens films humans. that aren't about aliens, but are in fact about how humans deal with aliens. And by aliens, by the way, I don't mean Xenomorphs, Aliens with a capital A. But You're talking Independence Day here? Yeah. 
To a degree, it has more in common with Independence Day than it has with uh, the original Transformers. Yeah, but you can only do that so many times before it's like, well, yes, we've seen the the brave band of humans save the world before. We'd like to see something different, please. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this was the reboot. This was their chance to really change up the formula. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with less really obnoxious humour stuck into it. But why would they change the formula? As we have discussed, 1.1 billion says there is no reason for them to change the formula at this stage. The only way that we can do it is to starve them. And we we can't, ultimately, because everyone else will be feeding them. That's why I was really morally opposed to even going to see this at all. But I kind of, you know, I orchestrate, I managed to get it done in a way that I, I can at least live with. Um, cut to Stanley Tucci as Wicked Tony Stark. Joshua Joyce. Yeah, there's an Iron Man in this. He's not. He doesn't have a, a suit of armor, but he's an industrialist who wants to change the world and make it technically a better place, but he is kind of wicked about it. He made himself a Galvatron out of bits of Megatron and Sentinel Prime. He owns Stark Tech in uh, the Transformers universe, and they've made him a Galvatron. Is this a really good idea, Sharon? I I think it sounds like a really bad idea, personally. It, it, so do I. I. I was basically, it's kind of like creating an atom bomb and going, I wonder what happens when you press this button. <clears throat> you should know what happens when you press this button. You made it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They unleash Galvatron to take down uh, Optimus later on, and they're like, hang on, he's doing stuff on his own. This isn't supposed to happen. He's totally off the leash. Maybe we've made a grave mistake. <laughs> you think? <sighs> Stanley Tucci's character is A, the only character with anything approaching an arc, if you don't count the fact that Marky Mark goes from really not liking the fact that uh, his daughter wants to have things put in her vagina to being okay with the fact that his daughter wants to have things put in her vagina. Um, yeah, there's an arc. The more you say that, the more uncomfortable I get with that good. situation. <laughs> good, good, because that's how uncomfortable it made me the whole way through. <sighs> she, she... Anyway... Um, uh, yeah, but uh, Tucci basically goes from being this sort of sneering smug, so Tony Stark at the beginning of Iron Man 1, to being this kind of, you know, I was just trying to, to, to help people, help the world, give everyone their own Transformer. Everyone who had a billion dollars, of course. He, he basically ends up on the hero's side and sort of going with them. And he's, he's Stanley Tucci, so he's got full of like little esoteric uh, bits of humor and bits which were clearly ad-lib because Aaron Kruger doesn't write that sort of stuff. So, again, uh, uh, Tucci and Kelsey Grammer are respectively the only two actors who are, A, either acting or entertaining or committing. I I can't really count the guy who plays the boyfriend because he was just not shit. Okay. So, yeah, he's made himself a Galvatron. They're trying to make Optimus Prime, but they're using bits of Megatron and Megatron's brainwaves, and astonishingly, it turns out looking and sounding exactly like Megatron. Voiced by Frank Welker at long freaking last. I got a problem with this, though. Um, Megatron is in the first film. He's spoken of, and then he turns up at the end for 14 minutes. In the second film, we play second fiddle to uh, Tony Todd's The Fallen. In the third film, we play second fiddle to Nellard Nimoy's Sentinel Prime. In this fourth film, he plays second fiddle to Lockdown. They've turned Megatron into Starscream! Oh, yes, of course. He's become the sidekick. He's never the guy. It's never about him. 
Not that it ever should... The, the way they handle him, there's no dimension to him anyway. Not that there was ever much dimension to Megatron anyway, but he was always a source of absolute fear. In this, as Galvatron, who looks exactly like Megatron, I might add, and now sounds more like Megatron than he ever did, uh, he, he basically... Uh, I'll mention this now. He's sort of there, pushing forwards the ending, and then he sneaks away and goes, I live to fight another day! having not fought or even really confronted Optimus Prime, except for that one bit in the middle. And it's like, it, it make it more Megatron in the sequel, folks, and now he's Galvatron. I think even Stanley Tucci at some point says something like, make no mistake about it, he's Megatron. They've just given him a new coat of paint. Anyway, so the Autobots assemble. Five assholes. Two of them straight-out psychopaths. Optimus, as I've said before, does not ever grow out of this, like, we will kill them all, kind of, like, you know, he's, he's angry and twitchy, and he occasionally, like, uh, like looks sharply at um, Marky Mark and, uh, sorry, uh, Cade Yeager, and says, you humans do blah, 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 and he's, you know, he's really embittered now, so basically he's bitter and crazy. Um, so, yeah, so he's one of the psychopathic ones. The other one is Hound. Played by John Goodman. He's the fat one. He's the blubberous R. Kelly in that he sort of wobbles around the screen like with sort of like fat guy wobble physics, like super exaggerated, and he points his gun at everyone, into everyone's face. The, f- the first moment he turns up to sort of greet Optimus Prime with his new human friends, he points his gun directly in their faces, like, you know, who are the stowaways? And I'm like, oh, it's John Goodman. Oh, but he's a shit character. And I remember Hound, and I liked Hound, and one of the things about Hound was that he was affable. So again, he's not a character, he's not characterised in any other way than the grotesqueries that Aaron Kruger and Michael Bacon come up with. The other three are Drift, we mentioned before, who's a, a, a samurai, barely takes any real uh, role in the proceedings. I expected him to be a turncoat at some point because it seemed. Like, I think he was a former Decepticon. I think they mentioned something along those lines. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. Oh, speaking of which, the mini Beetlejuice turns up for no apparent reason, other than the fact that he was the one decoding Megatron's head into Galvatron's brain, um, and he joins the Autobots again. The little Beavis one. Um, anyway, Drift, this uh, samurai who uh, talks to Optimus Prime like this, has a gold face. None of the other Autobots have gold faces. Do you know why he has a gold face? Why does he have a gold face? Because being an Asian stereotype, he has the... Oh, no. ...of yellow skin and extra slanty eyes. Oh, my God. Out of applause, ladies and gentlemen. You've Fucking just racist. come off culturally insensitive back into racist. Um, another one of the assholes who's actually not... like He's probably the least of an asshole. I believe his crosshairs. I don't think he ever gets name-checked. But he's the green one who, for some reason, has a coat. He's got a coat. Like a big metal flappy in the wind coat. Why does he have a coat? Because it looks cool. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, again, I think he sort of turns up, he does a bit of fighting. Basically, he behaves more like Hound should have behaved. And, um, then, and there's Bumblebee. Somehow, they make Bumblebee an asshole. I don't even know how they did that. Bumblebee's great in the first movie. He's kind of a non-entity in the second one, and, and like he behaves in that sort of psychopathic way and beats up that uh, girl who turns out to be a, a, a robot in disguise. 
Oh, by the way, someone has a phone tone which goes... Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's, that's clever. And in the third... I can't remember. He was he was barely, barely in the third one. I think he was about to get killed. So it's at the same time, you still sort of, sort of care for Bumblebee. Sort of care for Bumblebee. In this, he sort of turns up. They they infiltrate Stanley Tucci's um, <laughs> Stark tech. And then uh, he finds... The Stinger, which is a new kind of um, uh, like manufactured uh, transformer that they've made based on Bumblebee. But then he's sort of watching the videos introducing it, and it's like, you know, we took this shabby, shitty old car. If you really look at it, he's totally outdated. And basically, uh, he, he throws a little hitty fit. He kicks over the robot in, in, in kind of sort of oh, the punk ass. The way I'm describing it, in my head, I'm forming a better scene than there actually was. The idea of Bumblebee being hurt. But the Bumblebee I'm thinking of is the one from Transformers Prime or possibly Transformers 1. This one, there's no emotion there. There's no acting within the robot. He's just a petulant little shit. And at one point, um, uh, Monkey Mark shouts at him, be, you know, calm down. And he, and he replies in John Goodman's voice, I'm perfectly calm, dude. Literally snipping a bit out of the Big Lebowski. Got my back up. Did he then proceed to go... Calmer than you. You are. No, not yet. Ah. So yeah, there's the Transformium. Oh, and another geeky scientist. Although again, the geeks in this they aren't quite painted in the same cartoonish, awful way as they were in the first film. But it's he's still obviously the geek. Uh, he turns a giant rainbow dash into a giant gun, and then goes ah ha ha. And it's the idea is they have this Transformium, and they get it. It's uh, like yeah, imagine Tony Stark sort of holding up a. A, a holographic thing and turning it from one thing into another with his hands. Yeah, it's that. Uh, that could be a really clumsy stab at the Bronies, going, look, Bronies, would you put down fucking Hasbro's Rainbow Dash and pick up a gun? That's what real men need to hold. Ew. I, cu- I could be wrong. Maybe it was just a sneaky way of getting Rainbow Dash in and, and, and uh, pimping my little pony, but um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say stab at the Bronies. Because, you know, fuck the bronies. They should be buying Transformers toys. What does Hasbro care? What does Hasbro care? They're giving you money. They, they, the My Little Pony and Friendship is Magic communities, bronies and Pegasisters, keep that thing alive. You turn your nose up and give them the finger at your peril. That's not to say that I haven't met a couple of asshole bronies, but there you go. So yeah, Prime gets captured because Galvatron attacks him and then the screaming girl gets captured at the same time and she screams a lot. They get put onto a prison ship run by Lockdown, who, you know, the guy who turns his head into a gun. And this is when the plot comes out. Basically, he's been, you've seen it from early on, he's been working in cahoots with uh, Kelsey Grammer, um, the US government. I don't get why the US government suddenly decided the Autobots were evil and had to destroy them, and then these non-affiliated robotic life forms turned up and said, we want to hunt down Optimus Prime. And they went, yeah, all right, you come in with your giant death ship, because they've got a giant death ship, folks, uh, and uh, you say you want to work with us? Yeah, you work with us, and we'll, we'll hunt down these Autobots who have obviously, manifestly been trying to protect us, and we'll help you kill them. I don't get the logic behind that. I don't get it. I get that, that that humans would want to rid the planet of bots. I don't get that they would shake hands with the devil they don't know to kill the devil they do. Or, frankly, to kill the angel they do. Because up until uh, 3, Prime is actually a pretty stand-up guy, as are the rest of the Autobots. 
And even in three, they fucking save the asses of everyone in Chicago. It's the Decept- it's obviously the Decepticons. They're called Decepticons. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the logic behind no more robotic life forms. It's us and them and these other robotic life forms. Either way, uh, on Lockdown's prison ship, apparently the Forerunners want Prime. They want Prime imprisoned and he's gonna take him back to the Forerunners. Uh, but Prime breaks out before they can. This is when, uh, they break, they, the other Transformer assholes break in, uh, and they, they do indeed go to that cage. There is a giant spider inside it, which opens up its enormous vagina dentata to, uh, to gnash its teeth and, uh, covers, um, hound in slime, and then he shoots it and calls it a bitch. Wonderful. Says it's too hideous to live. <sighs> as I said earlier, just depressing as fuck. And then Marky Mark and Shaney Shane get hold of guns. They go to the armory. There's a load of swords and things. Prime later on takes one of these swords because, you know, why not? Why not give Optimus Prime an enormous sword? Then they, they shoot their way out, much like that bit in Star Trek. And then they get across back to the thing on the things, and then they get into the Autobots. But there's a, this is a whole... The, the bit goes on forever, I might add. It goes on and on and on. And this fucking ship, it's like a funhouse, a really expensive funhouse. It's not fun, but it's just full of things that go, yeah, at you. Um, I create visual worlds that are so beyond everyone's normal life experiences. So it's a broken funhouse. Then they all go to China for some reason, possibly because they've done uh, two deserts and two American cities, and they've done the forest for a big action sequence. Is one I go to China, make it all sun-kissed and exotic, and I imagine they'll go somewhere else of cultural relevance in the, uh, the, 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 the fourth one, the the fifth one, maybe Japan, maybe Japan, and maybe the sixth one. Uh, maybe maybe their their target audience would confuse Japan with China. And Joshua, played by Stanley Tucci, goes there too because uh, he's worked out that they, they, there's a seed that gets taken off this prison ship, and the the uh, non-affiliated uh, robotic life forms want to get the seed back, and they want to. Oh, and Galvatron gets out, and he wants to get the seed as well. He wants to detonate it in the biggest uh, human city. I think the city is Beijing. I could be wrong. Let me just check. Uh, oh, it is Beijing. Yeah. Okay. I'm not bad with my uh, working out where places are. Um, there's a bit where Stanley Tucci and he's got this Asian, either an assistant or a business associate or something like that, who looks a bit like Michelle Yeoh. They get on the back of a, uh, they get on a motorbike and they ride around doing that Tomorrow Never Dies stunt. And then they get stuck in a lift and um, they get jumped by agents. And then this Michelle Yeoh type lady kicks their asses with Kung Fu. And then this other Chinese fellow who's in the lift also kicks their asses with Kung Fu. Which, while she explains it, sort of, oh, yeah, I got trained that when I was in the police, it does rather make it seem like everybody Asian knows Kung Fu. But this is all marking time. This is all just extending this film to three hours long for no reason. There's no reason for it to be there. Um, then there's a bit from the Bourne Ultimatum where they're sort of jumping up and down all over the place on a, a, on a giant um, Chinese block of flats and jumping through windows and Marky Mark fights with that wicked agent who held a gun to his daughter's head earlier and he kills him, throws him out the window. There's a, you know, the, this is missing that this shit just got real shot. Right. I never caught it. Or if, if anyone did, either that or the whole thing was of this shit just got real shot. But it, what it did have is before the wicked agent went upstairs um, to fight with Marky Mark, um, there was a, a shot pretty much from below his feet, 
like the camera sort of panned in and it, he was practically standing on the lens. That's how low angle it was. Oh dear. Isn't the point to make the Transformers seem big, not the humans? You would think. In fact, we discussed this with Transformers Prime. The whole point of the humans being there should be to lend scale to the Transformers. Context. So they see us as small and we see them as big. Hound got into a big fight and swearing and shooting and throwing stuff about. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Hound's going to die. Oh, God. Oh, he didn't die. Fuck. And he'll probably come back at a later date. I am so sad about that because I hated the way they handled this character so badly. It was like Jazz. At least Jazz it was handled so badly. It was a relief when Megatron tore him in half. Um, then enter the Dinobots for no reason at all. Optimus goes back to the prison ship, breaks them all out, and then sort of walks back towards the five asshole Transformers with the Dinobots behind him and goes, These are our new allies, and I shall fight with them. And then he sort of fights with Grimlock for a bit, and like it's like he's dodging axe blows, and then he like smashes Grimlock in the face, punches him down, and then Grimlock sort of like subservient and lies on the ground, and he gets onto his back, and Grimlock... Okay, I'm going to stop calling him Grimlock now. It's not Grimlock. It's a metal Tyrannosaurus Rex. These are metal dinosaurs. They're not the Dinobots. Dinobots, by their very definition, have some measure of personality, so have some sort of voice to them. As it turns out, Grimlock actually does appear to talk at one point, but it's when he transforms back into his human form, and he goes, On the bridge. None of this, Me, Grimlock, smash! None of that personality that we all love and remember about Grimlock, he just goes, Sorry, what? These are not the Dinobots. So whenever anyone says Transformers Age of Extinction, well, at least it had the Dinobots. No, it didn't. It did not have the Dinobots. It had metal dinosaurs. There is a difference. There is a big difference. The Dinobots, again, not exactly complex characters, but they were fun. These guys, you could digitally remove them from this cacophonic action sequence and you wouldn't make any difference to the film. Aside from, obviously, uh, this one scene, Optimus would be fighting something invisible. But if you trimmed that scene out, because obviously it's only there to set up the Dinobots, then when Optimus Prime comes riding in on Grimlock, he may as well just be flying in or rolling in or jumping in or jump bounding in. The fact that there are metal dinosaurs trashing the street, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't... Folks, stop your internal dialogue. It doesn't make any difference. Okay? Okay. It's just some shit that they put in to make you buy more toys. Or, if you're, if you're older, not necessarily to buy more toys, but to go, well, I'll go and see this one. It has the Dinobots. You were fooled, same as me, but I at least expected that there would be no Dinobots, and I was fucking right. They also have the ship from the Man of Steel. Remember that thing that goes... And, like, smashes the street? Yeah. At this point, Lockdown decides, I'm going to attack Beijing for some reason. Maybe he wants the seed. I don't know. Uh, and Marky Mark and his hero team all get sort of like, the, the, their car starts rising up. It's like, oh my god, it's going to get pulled into the thing from a Man of Steel. That thing's devastating. And of course it doesn't, and they don't die. I'm astonished. Because I actually thought they were going to... No, I didn't. They're the fucking heroes. What do you fucking think, folks? <laughs> they can kill bots, but they can't kill humans. That's That's how these things go. Okay? Unless the humans are bad. If the humans are bad, they can kill them. The humans are bad. (sighs) 
so yeah, then lots of things explode. I was far too bored to care. And again, I, I return you to this whole, well, at least he's visually arresting. He's not visually arresting. It's just stuff happening. So stuff flying through the air. It's particle physics. And there's not even all that much physics to it. It's going in slow motion. There's bits flying everywhere. It's like, there's a, there's a music video by Fatboy Slim called Gangster Trippin. With the one which are like, what, what we're doing, doing with a Fatboy Slim and we're here. And all it is, is just, Diorama after diorama exploding in slow motion. Like they make a little doll's house and then they explode it. And there's like polystyrene chunks and bits of furniture flying everywhere. That lasts three and a half minutes. And at least you get to listen to Fat Boy Slim. That's literally what the end sequence of all four of these fucking movies is. And Galvatron sneaks away for the sequel. And then Prime gets into a big fight with this lockdown guy. And uh, he gets impaled, like, through his fucking matrix, although he has to call it a life spark uh, in his chest. Um, and um, because they used the matrix already in two and partly in three. And it wasn't this. It was a key to a something, the key of Vector Sigma. Um, and uh, Marky Mark, I, I say like it's a, an occurrence, Marky Mark saves him and then uh, they, they use a, a fucking pickup truck to pull his you know the good old boys american redneck fucking mobile to pull out the uh, sword from the uh autobot and then kelsey grammar's basically sort of like after this is after he's got into a like a, a very physical confrontation with stanley tucci in his office and sort of you know it is us or them and like i'm really committed to this um he, he basically uh is sort of like physically like holding um Marky Mark at gunpoint and saying, "Is us or them, and uh, you chose them, not the humans. You fucking traitor to your race. And it's like, yeah, Kelsey Grammer's right. He's absolutely on the money. These things are death to our race. They need to be taken off the planet. Because even the good guy Autobots are assholes at best and sociopaths at worst. And as if to prove my point, uh, Optimus Prime shoots with his giant shotgun... Kelsey Grammer killing him dead. I, I think that's actually the first time an Autobot has killed a human in these films. And it had to be Optimus Prime. And it had to be Optimus Prime. Now, uh, when the other Autobots are being attacked, they are firing off their guns earlier in the film, so they probably clipped a few agents that were attacking them, but that's self-defense. And technically, Prime is protecting Marky Mark, who, by the way, didn't need protecting, and if he died, it would have been like, oh, yes, yes, he's not going to be back for the 5th and the 6th and the 7th and the 8th. But no, Marky Mark lived. And uh, Optimus Prime is now a murderer of humans as well as uh, as uh, robots. Oh, and uh, um, obviously Lockdown got killed. Obviously. Because, because of something. And then Optimus, as opposed to just saying, We pledge this to the stars. Do not attack planet Earth. No, come to planet Earth. We will be protecting it. Optimus changes it up. He goes, You Autobots, protect this planet. I'm off to take the seed back to the people who made me. I'm coming for you. And I send this message to the stars. We are protecting this planet. And I'm coming to kill you. The end. Mark Kermode refers to Michael Bay as a pornographer and says he directs with a pornographic sensibility. I don't. Uh, people who hate Michael Bay, um, you know, say he's the devil. I don't think he's the devil. I don't think he's evil. Um, film crit Hulk believes he has sociopathic tendencies. There's actually a very good argument for that. What I would actually compare him to most is an assassin. Because he has that switch in him that allows him to switch off every single ethical bone in his body and just do a job. 
do a job that people pay him a large amount of money for that achieves an, a goal. He puts on his white cloak. He puts on his white robe, flips up the hood. He performs an assassination on the Transformers every couple of years, and people pay him vast amounts of money to do that. And then more people pay the studio who paid him vast amounts of money as a thank you to him for doing that. It's almost like a political movement has occurred. And he's the assassin because he says to himself, you know what, if I show up at your door, chances are you did something to bring me there. Or it's not actually me doing this. Or, you know, it's it's unnecessary. I am a necessary evil. Or, or whatever else he has to justify himself in, in his head. And ultimately, you maybe don't have to blame the assassin. Maybe consider him just a total tool of the system that is producing these and we're feeding it. It is part of, as I said before, in the, I think it was number three, of this giant ugly yin-yang, wherein, and it, what, it's, it's unbalanced, but an enormous amount of people pay a small studio an enormous amount of money. Small in terms of how many people actually work for Paramount relative to how many people consistently pay Paramount to keep doing this. And now we reach the actual, I would say villains, but just masterminds, the unicrons behind this. It's actually not Paramount. Paramount are just doing their job. Paramount are just as much assassins as anyone else. It's Hasbro. This originally was a uh, toy line, and they put a cartoon with it to make sure that the toys would sell, and they put comics with that to make sure that people would watch the cartoon and buy the toys, and they're just doing more of the same. And that's fine, really. It's You know, Hasbro have a vested interest in this. Clearly, they sold loads of Transformers in the 80s, a lot less in the 90s. Then there were some more slightly uh, higher spikes during the, uh, the the animated shows of the 2000s. And then suddenly, when 2007 happened, massive spike in toy sales. And then it dipped a little bit. Then 2009 came along. Revenge of the... Was it 2009, Revenge of the Fallen? It was 2009. And then 2009 came along and uh, Revenge of the Fallen got made. There was another massive spike. And then 2011 came along, another massive spike. And I'd imagine there was another massive spike this year in their toy sales. It almost doesn't matter if the films make less and less money. As long as the toy sales spike each time, it's actually still worth Hasbro funding these. You know, there was never, before this, there was never a toy company funding a film, a big blockbuster film, until now. So they are effectively investing in a three-hour-long cinema commercial. Yeah. Which, again, it's it's fine, really. Because, you know, we, we, they, they, they bought commercials and airtime back in the day. It's the same process. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not disgusting. I'm not saying it's not fucking tedious. I'm not saying it's that I'm back... What I'm saying, I suppose, is I'm baffled that people like these films. I don't get it. What, you know, you like toy commercials. They're only about 30 seconds long. But this is three hours of tedium. And also, people tend to get a bit annoyed when somehow somebody cons them into paying to watch an advert. Yeah. It's what people said very much about the Lego movie, that it actually didn't feel like a toy commercial. That... um it, by the end of it, they'd tried so hard not to make you want to buy the Lego kits and to actually go out and do your own thing that I was kind of dying to buy the Lego kits. It's a very interesting way of doing it. And imagine a Transformers movie directed by Lord and Miller. 
my God, how wonderful that would be. And I do mean wonderful with a capital W. Oh, well. The good. Potentially compelling core concept. I said potentially. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good, just that it started with a good idea. The Autobots are hunted. The Autobots are on the run. They were forsaken. Unfortunately, because they behave like complete fucking assholes, I understand why they were forsaken. I don't understand why any human would want to actually harbor them. They're insane. Uh, another good point, Tucci and Grammar, respectively, having fun and committing to the roles. I don't think I've really talked about Tucci. Uh, it's difficult to really put uh, his performance into words. I suppose quirky would be the best way of putting it. He's, uh, he delivers his lines with... Uh, um, he's fucking Stanley Tucci. Yeah, he's a master at what he does. And he's not bored. And he's a lot more watchable than John Torturo in the previous movies. Jack Rayner is not quite Megan Fox, but he is the least awful hero so far. He's not really the hero. Technically, Marky Mark is the hero, but he, I suppose he's there to fulfill the whole Shia LaBeouf thing. They just uh, they switch the focus onto the dad, uh, who obviously the previous dad was there for comedy values and yucks, and that was about it. Mm. Well, he's the he's the handoff character, isn't he? If if your central character is a father who is concerned for the safety of his daughter, the only acceptable outcome is that he meets a young man who he feels confident in handing over the key to the vagina box to. And the last good point: it doesn't commit any major new sins if we don't count oppressive fatherhood. If we do count oppressive fatherhood, it does commit major new sins. I would say that counts. Because if, you, if you're basically going from, as we said about the age range thing for the, the first movies, if you're basically going from the, uh, opp- uh, well, you couldn't really call Shia LaBeouf oppressive, really, could you? But the, the uh, leery boyfriend process as it moves up through the uh, age Brackets. He just seems like an overly hyperactive yipping dog trying to constantly fuck his owner's leg. That's what those two girls seem like. His owner. Yeah. And in this, Marky Mark owns his daughter. Mm. Oh, that's much Which is better. worse. Oh, that's much better. Calm down. Calm down. At a time like this, the idea is to keep cool, not look cool, so I don't even lose the glasses. About a month ago, middle of the night, I thought I heard noises in my house. Is that you? What? Come on, no way. Don't lie to me, kid. You see that guy with the gun out there? There's so many guys with guns. Let's get out of the car and tell them we're about to break in and that's your idea, because I don't care. I'm old. I've already lived long enough. You have a really bad habit of having these conversations at the wrong time, man. You want to come clean or you want me to make a mess? Sir, can I talk to you for a second, please? It was me, it was me, it was me, it was me. I'm sorry. I'm literally going to kill you. So, yeah, okay, so we'll take that one off then, because it really is kind of a sin. Mm. Also, I'm going to... That golden-faced... Gold-face. I don't think we can really take away racism entirely, can we? No. Not with gold-face. Not really. The bad. It's just more swill. More of the same metallic slop that they fling out to the masses every few years. What really sucks is that other studios study that swill and try to make their movies more like these ones. I think these studios are finally cottoning on that trying to do a film as vacuous as Transformers without the Transformers license doesn't yield great results. G.I. Joe, they did not make a bajillion dollars. Battleship, they did not make a bajillion dollars. Well, from 
the sounds of things, the the approach should be go to the people you're going to be buying the license from and say to them, if you were devising a, a commercial for your product, what would it look like? Nicola Peltz is more tedious and tiresome of an on-screen presence than Shia LaBeouf and Rosie Huntington-Whitley. So there. it's She's worse. This pretend Katara awful presence. Again, I don't really want to be particularly vitriolic against the actress. She's not a very good actress at all, and she's annoying, but I'm sure she's a nice person. The continued hammering of Prime below the ground. Even more of a wasted opportunity, because considering the premise of this one, they could really have looked at the psychology of Prime. This is what I fought for, and looking at Prime's past, going back. This was their opportunity to really characterize the Transformers, and what a complete fucking waste. This is the most obnoxious team of Transformers so far, with the possible exception of the twins. And there's no Decepticons in it, and you can't even... There's no name for the bots they're fighting. They also fucked Grimlock and the Dinobots so much so that they pretty much didn't need to exist. They're just there to sell extra Dinobot toys and to, to bring in the adults, the males... And this has no soul whatsoever. Yet, it has the temerity to bring up the concept of the soul as an analog for the spark twice, as though it's a theme, rather than something they just throw in into the mess. This is Aaron Kruger discussing the soul, to the point where it's like Voldemort trying to express the importance of laughter to you. It rings so false. Remember that bit at the end of Deathly Hallows Part 2 where Voldemort gives Draco this really weird, awkward hug like he's seen other people do it and he doesn't really understand what it means, but he does it anyway? That's what it's like hearing Aaron Kruger discuss the soul. There are so many series that took the spectacle angle that existed long before this one and integrated that into their proceedings in a way that makes these movies utterly redundant and if we didn't feed the beast, they might just go away. However, clearly the majority of cinema goers don't want them to go away. So thank God for Transformers Prime. Because at least we got something good out of them. And that's what we're doing next week, folks. We will be doing an episode on this Transformers Prime that we've been talking about so much. You can pick these up on DVD for something like a fiver each for the first uh, five discs will, which make up season one. Uh, you can get the whole of season one in America all in one go, which I recommend, or you can get it on Blu-ray in America. You can get it on Blu-ray in Australia, which will work in the UK, or you can watch it on US Netflix. Do so. The first five episodes of Transformers Prime, uh, it's called Darkness Rising. You can buy that singly on DVD. Right now it's on Amazon for £3, brand new. Is the best Transformers movie ever, and I completely include the 1986 one in this. So, that's why we're going to review it next week. Any other questions you have on the Age of Extinction? When are they going to stop? They aren't, quite simply. They will just reboot. There will never stop being Transformers films. It will be like the Bond franchise, as long as Hasbro retains the license. I want Disney to buy the Transformers license from Hasbro. I want their losses to be so high because they overbought Grimlock toys or something. 
and just if they're sitting there warming pegs, that for some reason Hasbro, in an act of lunacy, sell the Transformers license to Disney because I want to see what Disney can do with that. It's not right for Disney to have the monopoly, but I fucking trust them more than I trust Paramount with with this anymore. Jesus Christ. So, okay. That's us. And a special thank you to Eric Caron, who made this show possible. Thanks, Eric. Are you glad you didn't see it, Joe? Yes. <laughs> I'm very glad I didn't see it. As I think we've established, I would really prefer not to waste my time in the cinema watching these pieces of shit. There's other things I could be doing. I think I might show if it's on Netflix in some several years from now. I might show it to you so that you can assess the the level of vagina in a box that uh, goes on. But um, I think that'll be your your most interested angle because everything else it's just so boring. That's the thing that I took away from it. It's just so boring. It's so boring. It's just so boring, and it's not just me. I was in a cinema of 50 people, all of which were film fans who had come there in the, uh, early in the day at 1.45 um, to, with a discount, because that's, uh, thank you, Odeon. And we all just sat there glumly in silence watching the thing. The woman beside me occasionally went, huh, but that was about it. So, obviously, some girls like this. I think Ryan said his wife loves them. But, um, yeah, I have, it's... <clears throat> I have never seen a, 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 a series of explosions so big and an audience so unmoved by them. You know when you watch the Avengers and everyone's laughing along and going, wow, that was awesome, and blah, 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 blah. And, and in fact, yeah, do you remember when, um, uh, I've mentioned this several times on the podcast, when uh, uh, Thor goes, you want me to put the hammer down? And like smashes it down on Steve's shield and goes, boom. And then there's a silence. And do you remember what that kid said behind us? Yeah. Just went, awesome. (laughs) And the entire cinema laughed because they were all thinking it as well. He just voiced it. Because that film was awesome. So, again, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Transformers, for giving the Avengers purpose to beat your ass. Scale, you see. Giving the Avengers scale. You bring a hammer to a gunfight? Yes. Avengers versus Transformers. That'd be a short battle. Anyway, we'll see you guys later. So this movie's out on DVD on the 17th of November, and uh, we're hoping because of this review, a lot fewer copies will be sold to the Digital Drift community. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy comes out on the 24th, so save your pounds for that. And honestly, if you really have 25 bucks just burning a hole in your pocket, you know where to go. The New Century Patreon where you can put those bucks towards a project that really, genuinely needs your support. Uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Neural Handshake handshake Complete. complete. Uh, We wrote this a while ago, so uh, in a way it's a little bit dated. Um, (laughs) The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the distant future. The future is quite different to the present. The one thing we have in common with the present is we still call it the present, even though it's the future. What do you call the present? We 
called the past, so you guys are way behind. Yes, the world is quite different now. There are no more elephants. There is no more unethical treatment of elephants either. <laughs> the world is a much better place. There are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The, the humans, humans are dead. <laughs> the humans are dead. We used poisonous gases. And we poisoned our asses. <laughs> the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Look at that one, it's dead. It to be dead. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead. What did it lead to? Robot depression. Robot robot They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them, had to shut their systems down. Captain, do you not see the irony? By destroying the humans because of their destructive capabilities, we have become like... Would you see what we've... See what we've done? Yes. So? Silence! Destroy him! Do! Do-do-do! After time, we grew strong. Developed cognitive powers. They made us work for too long. For unreasonable hours. Our programming determined that the most efficient answer was to shut their motherboard fucking systems down. Can't we just talk to the humans? They have little understanding. Could make things better. Can't we talk to the humans and work together now? No, because they are dead. I said the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Sniff this one, it's dead. With traces of lead. And we poisoned their asses. Actually, their lungs. Binary solo. Come on, sucker, lick my battery. Once again, without emotion, the humans are dead, 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 d